Welcome to the Catfish and Crappie podcast, folks. I am really excited tonight. Uh, I know this is pre-recorded, but I should be out there and chat talking with you guys, and we will have an Ask Me Anything like we usually do after the fact. So uh, um, so listen up, chat amongst yourselves, make sure you're listening with uh, uh, what Ted here has to say, and uh, I'm sure you'll be happy. I'm sure you'll come up with a lot of questions. So uh, uh, I do need to make the announcement that next week is going to be the beginning of the one versus one uh, tournament. March Madness. We're looking forward to that. So uh, I think I got everything in place. If you haven't got your rules into me, please do. So Ted, how do you say your last name correctly? Because my last name is butchered by so many people. But yeah, it, just, it sounds just like it's printed. Ellen Becker. Ellen Becker. Good yep. enough. Yep. Is I, that I, a- I've had people misunderstand that and they start calling me Ellen a lot. Oh. But, but I've been called worse, Mark. So yeah, I, I have been called worse. Not by many not by many better people than present company, but yeah. we'll see. Anyways, uh, so um, I, I appreciate you coming on. I've seen you a couple of times, I believe, on uh, uh, Catfish Weekly. I've seen some of your media and your uh, Facebook stuff, and I definitely knew that you would be the man for the job. Um, I, and, and as an avid catfisherman, and I mean a flathead fisherman, and to be specifically structures. Pretty darn important as far as that goes. Well, as, as far as daytime flatheads go. So, uh, uh, again, I'm, I'm really happy to have you here. So let's talk about your your, your beginnings. Uh, when did you get started fishing, and where did you find your passions? Oh, well, my whole life, fortunately, my dad enjoyed fishing. We had a cabin on a small local lake um, when I was very young. And, of course, in the summer, you know, most of the weekend, we were spent up there and it was a nice little walleye lake. I wouldn't call it a trophy lake, but I learned up there, you know, we were fishing crappie, perch, walleyes, a few northerns occasionally. And we just kind of continued. I moved to the Black Hills uh, for a while and got into fishing for trout, which was really fun, and a little fly fishing involved. Uh, came back to South Sioux Falls, the Sioux Falls area in uh, eastern South Dakota. And I actually, I opened a bait shop out on 12th Street in Sioux Falls at an old store, probably known around, I even remember it's called Olson Marine. I had a bait shop in the parking lot. And started seeing a lot of guys coming in with a lot of bigger cats, you know, caught locally. That At that time, I never even knew they existed, to be honest with you, you know. So that obviously that sparked my interest. And uh, so there, I just kind of went into the channel cats and the flatheads. Uh, up here, we don't have a lot of blues, Mark, so I can't really say I'm involved in that a lot. I have fished for them uh, down in Kansas, and I fished for them in South Carolina, you know, on the Santa Cooper chain down there, and done pretty well. But up here, the Missouri River, uh, from Sioux City down, we have some, but, you know, not a huge population. I consider myself kind of a multi-species. I like fishing, you know. I- I do too. Um, I, I, I definitely consider, I, I know the name of my catfish is catfish and crappie, but that's pretty much what I chase most of the year. The rest of the species I chase kind of like hunters chase, you know, game, you know, whatever season it is, is, is what I'm trying for or, or trying to get out after. I can definitely uh, uh, relate with all of that. And um, man, there's some cool fish out there always wanted to catch a bird but i got onto the bird bit and that's probably going to be something i try to do at least once a year um i, I chased salmon uh here on lake michigan in the fall late fall yep. uh 
I'm chasing, you know, pike through the ice, stuff like that. It's not something that I target a lot of the time. So, um, and then there's, you know, I, I'm getting an opportunity to go for the first time with someone who actually knows what they're doing, go walleye fishing here in March. I'm looking forward to that. So uh, maybe we can touch bases real quick after the podcast. You can give me some of your tips. So, sure. can, you know, the multi-species thing is kind of nice, especially up here because we're very seasonal up here. I mean, we do have spring, we do have summer, we have fall and we have, winter <laughs> yes and, we do and so you know if, if you're a little more versatile and you can enjoy doing a few other species it just extends your your fishing time through the whole year you know so that's kind of how that hooked up it, it absolutely does you know i gotta um uh i I have a few uh, subscribers now. I'm starting to reach out a little further north up there. I know we got Don R. He's up your way. So why don't you tell us exactly where you're located now? What part of the country? I am in Beaver Creek, Minnesota. That's that's where our home is right now. Mm -hmm. um, to, to translate that, I'm right in the corner of southeast South Dakota, southwest Minnesota, and Iowa. Right in the triad. Right in the triangle there. I'm maybe... 10 miles out of South Dakota into Minnesota, but I'm still only 18 miles to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. You so know, you, have, you have to buy quite a few fishing licenses, don't you? I buy three every year, three okay. earlies every year. I buy Iowa, well, sometimes four or five. If I want the whole thing, I buy Kansas, I buy Nebraska, South Dakota, Iowa, and Minnesota. It makes and it hard. And Canada. I buy yearly up in Canada too. Not not so much this year though with all the stuff. No, that's no, no, no. That, uh, we, but now we call Northern Minnesota Canada. <laughs> that's turned into our Canadian trip now. Pretty know? much, it's a it's a long yeah. ways for me still. Minnesota's a pretty big state, and there's a lot of water to get around, so that makes it not so easy to get from one place to the other. Definitely. Yeah. I, I spent a little time up there when I was a younger man. My dad and mom and, and some of my family would drag us up there. It's beautiful up there. We did really good. We fished, you know, what did we fish? Leech Lake and, and Winnebagoshish, Big Winnie. We fished up there a few times. So we had a lot of fun. That's where I got my, uh, um, I think this was it. I think that's where I caught my very first Northern Pike was up there. It was off the dock with a perch Rapala, little three inch stick bait. And, and it, it stuck there for forever. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, 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 like, I like Northern a lot. They, they're usually they're they're pretty willing, you know, to participate, and 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 you have the opportunity to catch a big fish most places. You, you know, definitely do. Anyway, you know, you and I have a friend who doesn't care for him too much. A, a mutual friend. We're not going to name his name, but I bet you he's in here watching. He might have even hosted the show that was uh, just prior to this one, but we're not going to mention Lyle Stokes. <laughs> Yeah. You see, he claims that they're more. They say he claims that the pike are slimier than blue cats. I have to disagree with them, but then again, I've only caught two smaller ones, so I don't know. Well, yeah, northern. I don't understand why a lot of people do give a lot of a negative, you know, verbiage out there on northerns. If you go, if you go to Canada and you've ever done shore launches, northerns are what they're going to fix you. Oh yeah, because. I can catch one or two northerns and feed my family. If I want to do that with walleyes, I got to catch a dozen of them, you know, basically. Um, and, and if you take the time to learn how to debone those fish, which there's videos all over YouTube on how to debone a northern, and it really only takes about one minute of fillet to do it. Um, quite honestly, they're, they're very comparable or even better, in a lot of people's opinions, than the, than the walleyes. 
Definitely a lot of people like it. I know my parents are big fans, if if not just from those trips that we took up north. They're they're definitely fans of Wally. They've been they've been dying for me to catch one. I was gonna try and get one this year, it didn't work out, but it's still it's still not over. If we can get one, we're gonna try some pickled pike. I got a recipe from Luke Henges from way up there. So I'm gonna give that one a try. But my mom's been bothering me for what for that, anyways. But that we're going off on another tangent here. We always start talking about food and stuff. And I do want to make sure that we mention that we do believe in uh response harvest no matter what the species is correct absolutely I can, you know I consider myself a CPR fisherman for the most part um every now and then I'll harvest you know fish that are of harvest harvestable size and uh, ones that don't impact the, the population that much so I always need to put that in there I fought for a lot of conservation on the flathead end of it you know in our area up here already and been pretty successful in South Dakota and kind of joined up with Nebraska and that. And so I believe in the CPR too, but you know, occasionally you buy the license, it's not bad to eat a fish either, especially if you're going to lose the fish anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them that are hooked and you're just going to lose them. Why are you going to throw him back in the water? Yep. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's even one of the rules in my, my tournament. If you, you got hooked something, I'd rather you keep it than, than, than throw it back. I mean, I have mixed thoughts on all of that, but yeah. yeah. It, it is what it is. It's what I choose to do. And so I, situational. Yep, exactly. Uh, you had mentioned flathead. So let, let's segue that into a couple other things. Um, I understand you got a couple of catfish world records, don't you? Uh, yeah. Yep, I do. I, I think, the, the well, to me, the one that I appreciate the most, I, I call it the triple crown. I don't know if it's actually that or not. But in IGFA, I do hold the two-pound line class, the four-pound line class, and the six-pound line class. Channel Cat World Records for the men's division, um, you know, and, and so it's just kind of that's like the ultra light categories two, four, and six. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of kind of nice to get a hold of those three. I did catch the the four pound was really like three years ago. I was with Brad Brad Durick up in North Dakota on Red River, and we we went after the four pound and we got that. But the other two were up in Canada on the Red River. So you were chasing those records. It's not like you got a, a channel cat through the ice on like two pound test or nothing. You were actually on ultralight gear and, and, oh, yeah. and geared up to do that. Cool. Yep. A lot of guys are, they do that. They'll chase records or PBs or whatever it is. Yeah. Pretty cool well, stuff. I cheat a little bit with the ultralights. Well, not cheat, but about 15, 18 years ago, I had a gentleman build two custom ultralight rods for me that are designed for two pound to six pound line. And he, he went to work, and he actually picked two, two uh, well, I guess you call them noodle rod blanks made by Browning. And then he went out and he found some diamond carbide eyes that don't create heat. You know, the friction of the line going back and forth, mm-hmm. they don't create heat. They were very expensive. But uh, he put those together for me. I've had those two rods now for almost 20 years. And, man, they were well worth it, uh, you know. As long as you set your drag right, you let the equipment bite the fish. Uh, you can handle a huge fish in, on two, on you know, on one K line. You really can. You know, I do def- area too. You got to be careful. You know, I never um, thought about the the heat being an issue, especially with monofilament line, because I do notice. Let's say if I'm crappie fishing, and I'm usually using up until recently a four a four pound test, and if I'll hook in even like a three, a two, three, maybe even four pound channel cat, that line will get destroyed. Whatever's out there, and it would make sense that it would be, 
you know, the heat that does it because that's exactly what it looks like. So. Oh yeah, yeah. You have the, the friction. Uh, the, to me, anyway, the art of, of the ultralight fishing is, you know, you, you have to find the species you want. You have to have the proper equipment, and you got to be able to trust your equipment. But then you also have to try to do it where you know you're not going to encounter an obstacle. You know, <clears throat> excuse me, with that 1K line, you know, if that fish comes around a boulder or he, or he gets on any type of a rock or stick out in there or even heavy weed lines, you're done. Yeah. So, so you have to pick your structures, your fishing to fit your equipment too so you just don't get broke off, you know. There's a lot that goes into it, especially, you know, when you're around those kind of conditions, which is exactly why I use the the, the line and the tackle I do is because I do fish around, like said, structure. There was, there's yeah. that magic word again. And uh, I'd rather horse around it than finesse my way through it. But then again, I'm, I've, I've never been accused of being a finesse guy. So wow. whether it's in life or work or even in my marriage, she might hear me. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's something that I could probably use a few lessons in. So, well, I we switched up a lot, you know. I mean, you got the one extreme down there at the one K line, you know. But but then, like up here, when we're working on log jams on the Jim River for flatheads, you know, the two pound line rigs they don't come along. <laughs> then you're talking some boat rods with sixty pound big game line and you know hundred pound leaders, and you know that's a different different game there. So how are you finding the fish if you're trying to stay clear of structure? When I'm sorry? Oh, I lost you there. Oh, I was going to say, so how are you finding the fish if you're actually in purposely trying to stay clear of structure? There's where my question comes in. Well, to find the fish, you know, every, every species of fish has three things that you can play against. Number one, they, they have the type of the elements, the type of structure in the body of water that they like to be around, okay? By per species, each species can be a little different and each body of water is definitely different. Um, as long as you can locate the, the species preferences in a body of water, then you can locate where they are on that body of water, you know, in an area where you can fish them. And, and you may have to change the elements you're fishing. I mean. You know, if you like fishing log jams for, for cats or, or for crappie, um, going ultralight, you're going to have to work with a different element, obviously. Uh, so that's going to move you. But if you can put a couple elements together on a body of water, you know, the fish aren't all in one spot. They're in a very small percentage of the water as a rule. Mm -hmm. But But you can always find a different depth. You can always find a different element you know, or a combination of elements that'll hold a couple of fish. The problem is trying to put the element together or the elements together that will hold the size of fish you're looking for. There's more to it. You know, you can say, I want to go catch a crappie, and that's fine. But if you want to go catch a two-pound crappie, it changes the whole game. It does. You know, it, it that makes a big difference. So you have to consider... The only way to make a successful fishing trip, Mark, is to understand what you want. You know, if I want a 10-pound walleye, if I don't go to a body of water where there's 10-pound walleyes available, mm -hmm. I'm just shooting myself in the foot. But people don't think about that a lot. You know, they, they're, they're told, well, if you do this and this and this, you'll catch a 20-pound a fish. But they don't go back to the, 
the simple foundation that you have to pick the bodies of water that are capable of doing what you want them to do to start with. And then you need to break it down and go from there. Very true. Um, I got bodies of water here um, where, you know, a 10 pound channel cat is a monster. I mean, that's like a twice since in the last 25 years have I caught one that big at this. Like they, there might be one or two in there, but other than that, if you're getting a five, six pound channel catch, you're having a good day. Then there's, yeah. you know, go, go out to the river and, you know, I'm looking for those four, 10 to 14 pounders and I yeah. go a little further north and I'm, I'm looking for a 30 pound this year. So we're going to see what we can do about that. But yeah, that definitely, I mean, like you were mentioning, I have no blue cats here either. Um, not even not even a one. I have to travel, I don't know, maybe three and a half, four hours south of here just to fish a power plant lake. And um, that th those were put there. So take it for, for what you want. I know a lot of people have mixed emotions on whether or not you should be fishing. Well, that's really fishing for those fish or not, but we're not going to get into that. Yeah. Um, now, now, as far as structure goes, let's let's talk about the, the, the basis of, of, of well, the, the beginning of what structure fishing actually is. Um, can, can you explain a little bit about that? I know. Oh, boy, sure. Um, if you want to go all the way back to the foundation, you know, I mean, uh, structure is one of the top three things that an angler has to consider. I mean, if, if you would ask anybody, or even if they don't know what structure is, most of the fish are caught on a form of structure. Or on, or on a single element, but well, can I give you a couple definitions of structure and explain that to you a little bit? First? Absolutely, please do. Okay. Um, in 1956, there there was a freshwater angler. Uh, I don't remember his name. I, I wouldn't mention it anyway. But but he defined structure, a fishing structure, as something connected to the bottom. Okay. And then about 10 years later, uh, there was a saltwater angler that said if there's a change in the bottom, that is structured. Well, and, and when I started fishing the world records, Mark, I got, I got to looking at that, and it didn't make sense to me. Because if, if I have a garage on a concrete slab, that would be considered a structure by definition. But if I take the garage off it, what do I have? A concrete slab mm -hmm. okay well so if you had a rock on the bottom of a lake according to the first definition that would be a structure uh, if you had a little hump on the second definition that would be a structure the problem is information to have a value to you as an angler has to make sense to start with okay and how many anglers let's say there's a little hump a little hump in the main lake, okay, and you go out and you're throwing bait around that little hump, and you get done and you go back, have a hamburger at the cafe, and you're talking to your buddy, and he says, well, where were you fishing? What are you going to say? You're probably going to say, well, I was fishing the hump on the north end of the lake. If you were to say, I was fishing the structure on the north end of the lake, your buddy is going to look at you and go, what are you talking about? Yeah. See, so to call that hump a structure, first off, it has no value because you're going to have to re-explain really exactly what you're talking about. And if you look at the definition of structure that the rest of the world goes by, it's, it's the relationship or the combination 
of elements to build something like a house as a structure, you know, the combination of it. So if you really want to understand structure and utilize structure, make it work for you, first you got to know what it is. Then you got to understand structures aren't created equal. Okay. Structures are built with elements. That rock would be an element in that body of water. Okay. The hump would be an element in that body of water. Those are in that water, and that's what builds the lake, right? I mean, everything in an individual body of water, that's what builds that lake or makes it an individual. Right. Some lakes have docks, some don't. Okay. So for that structure, you either have a dock or you don't, whatever. Each body of water is different. Each species in that body of water is going to locate onto one element that supplies them with something. Okay, food, cover, temperature, whatever, lighting, whatever, okay? But I found out when I was working with some world records that while one element can hold fish, okay, to concentrate and hold fish consistently, if you can understand the species you're after and the body of water and what elements are available for that species, and combine three of the elements, you will consistently hold fish because each element has a different purpose. Some elements will hold leeches, some elements will hold snails, you know, yeah. some like, like a hump, okay? That'll offer variation in depth, possibly light changes, temperature changes. So if a fish, kind of like a white-tailed deer. So if, if these fish are holding on a structure that has three elements that are attractive to that species. Those fish don't need to move off of it. They can stay there. Or you'll have other fish moving in from other structures to that structure. So if we're talking finding fish consistently, that's the way to go. Whereas a, an individual element will say a single rock pile, okay, out in the middle of a bay. Sure, that rock pile will hold fish at times, but will it hold a particular species of fish most of the time? Probably not. Mm -hmm. But if you combine the elements, it, it's all a numbers game. The more fish you can present to, well, okay, I'll back up. The more fish you can hold on a structure gives you more fish to present to. Right. The more fish you present to, the more opportunity you have for a bite, regardless of the bite. It's a bad bite. Maybe today I wouldn't have got any bites, but I presented to enough fish. I got two bites. On some days, obviously, when the fish are going nuts, you could throw a rock at them and they'll hit it. Yeah, exactly. And then it doesn't matter. But that those two bites are better than not getting any. So if you weren't fishing in those high percentage areas, you're definitely going to come up with a big skunk, which a lot of people do. So You're going to come up with the best you could come up with mm -hmm. is what it comes down to, you know. You know, and, I, I, and that's fishing. You know, I have this term that I talk to a bunch of people about, and I call it, or this type of fisherman, they're spot fishermen. You know, mostly bank fishermen will do this. They'll fish their spots. And what you said just kind of uh, resolved a lot of questions that I had, like why are fish there sometimes and sometimes they're not, and why are some spots better than others? And that pretty much answered all those questions right there. Yeah. And the, the few minutes you just talked about the, the higher percentage. So there's got to be something down there on those really good spots that's keeping them fish there 
for a heck of a lot longer than, than the other spot and the other fish. So I guess some structure, some spots, they're just, they're visiting them or they're stopping at those spots. That makes a lot of sense. Would I be, am I, am I correct in assuming so? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yep. yep. I'm not going to argue with that at all. You know, it, uh, well, I'm going to add here too, though, uh, if I can, one thing you need to understand about structures, all structures obviously aren't created equal, but elements aren't created equal either, Mark. Um, mm -hmm. like, like we'll say, okay, like up here, uh, with some GP uh, research, you know, the, the bigger cats in the Jim River, as an example, uh, the main element in that body of water that they that they congregate around is the log jams or wood elements, okay? But um, there's a difference in wood elements. And, and the easy explanation for that is if I take a, a two-foot-long stick and put it in the bottom of a lake it's not going to hold a lot of fish it doesn't have a lot of power to concentrate fish but if i take another wood element we'll say a 20-foot cottonwood and drop it in the lake now that wood element has power okay so if, if you look at a structure the same way you know if i have three elements that have power like it's not a stick it's a cottonwood and it's not still water it's it's a body of water with a current line and there's also a channel ledge. See what I'm getting at here? Now mm -hmm. we have three elements with, a, with a, a lot of power to position fish. So you know you can hold fish there and you can approach where they're going to be. On the current line, on the wood, in the channel. So you make three presentations to that and you've covered it. If you don't present to every element, and this is a big mistake people make. I have a friend, I won't mention his name. Very good friend, gentleman would give you the shirt off his back, but he's hard to fish with. His main thing is the fisher in the deep water. The fisher in the deep water. And I had a, a, a deal with him. We were fishing a tournament and we were pre-fishing and we found a stock dam in the mouth of a bay where you can see, if you look way back in the back of the bay, where before this place was dammed up, there was a creek running into this, okay, into the bay. And the creek ran right through the center of the stock dam in the old days. Mm -hmm. and, and then it dropped off into the main lake, right, off at the mouth. We had four cats on, four blues in this case, in about 30 minutes there. And it was like, okay, we're getting out of here. Leave them alone, right? We went out onto the lake next day and right off the bat it was well, okay we're going to go out here in the deep water we're going to do some drifting so we did 40 mile an hour wind i mean god you know we couldn't even slow the boat down okay? hey that depth is more important than being punished i guess huh yeah well oh. i couldn't get him to go back to the, the stock dam because it wasn't deep enough for him but the day before we had four fish in 30 minutes you know and so don't get stuck, you know, if, if something that works for you sometimes, and this kind of goes back to the structure thing, deep water isn't going to always hold fish. There's other elements involved, you know. And so if you get stuck on something and it's not working for you, don't be afraid to try, try something else, yeah. you know. 
because you just so he does really good when the fish are in deep water. But I don't care what you're fishing, there is always a shallow water fish. Always. And where I fish, I always always consider it shallow water. Me, a one foot change in in depth is considered pretty good up here, but that that, here nor there, uh, I fish a lot of structure and stuff. Let me, um, I did want to ask you about uh, old structure versus new structure. Let's say we get big storms coming through in the last weekend. Knocks down a couple of trees, right? Well, those new trees, everybody gets real excited. Oh, my God, there's trees on there. There's got to be fish in there. I'll drive right by them and go back to the older structure until those trees that have been knocked down have been there for a while. Yeah. I'm making a mistake in doing so. No, no. In fact, I don't know, you know, God, what was the catfish fever? And I'm name dropping here. In Fisherman. First book and video they came out with, like back yep. in 1980 or 90s. Um, Doug Stangy, right? Yeah, yeah. And Toad Smith, you know, mm-hmm. um, they made a comment in there in that book that was extremely important. And I, I quite honestly, I don't, I've never heard anybody else say it, but you just led up to it. So I'm going to. They made a comment that you want to fish old wood old, big wood. And right there, they just covered two things. They, they're naming an element. They said big wood, right? Okay, so there's your power, your ability to. But the old wood is another part of that that people don't understand or even have never been told. An old log jam or an old piece of wood that, like you're talking about, will have had time for the water to build channels around it, undercuts around it, to fill in certain places. It developed character. And the fish utilize it. A fresh cut, you know, like say this spring, somebody drops a tree or or you get a little flood and it drops a tree off the bank into the lake or into the river, right? Okay, well, that's going to look good. But (laughs) if it's there this spring in July, sure, you might have a fish on there just because. But you aren't going to have the biggest fish in the water sitting on that tree. It's not. Or, or, or you're. Or a limit of crappies in an hour. That never seems to be the case, especially right. with new structure. Yeah. We'll have the, you know, the local municipalities, they drop Christmas trees off. Actually, this time of year, I need to get out there this week before the ice melts and see where they drop those so I can mark them on my map. That's there you go. <laughs> you're getting carried away and getting excited about the spring. Uh, but those won't hold fish until the next year. For some reason, they absolutely will. Now, I know where the fish were from the Christmas trees from the last year we're at, so I'll be hitting those this year. But that's yeah. like an example of how I always thought it. You, you, you had mentioned, you know, um, uh, the cutouts happening, the water to wash through there. I always thought it had more to do with that cycle of, of life thing where, where the algae starts growing on that older uh, oh. brush pile and the minnows and the plankton, the feeding, you know, the plankton feeds the minnows or the algae yeah. feeds the minnows. Absolutely. That, that is part of it. And, and with the. Uh, your, your uh, pine trees that you're just talking about, something mm-hmm. to consider there. A pine tree they just dropped in is still exuding uh, a turpentine put out. And so what you're talking about, the uh, the algae and the little freshwater shrimp, really aren't going to hang around that much until that gets washed out, which is going to be a year later. What about cedar, too? Cedar has a, an anti-bug element, yeah. too, doesn't it? Wouldn't it be the same for, like, plant life as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It has, the, when the wood ages, it goes neutral chemically. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's when you start getting all your, your fauna coming around. You get your algae, your blooms, uh, you get the freshwater shrimp, you know, you get you get a little boat, you get everything. The whole life starts to come in there and just, you know, you bring the bring that in, and then you bring the little fish, big fish follow the little fish. So yeah, yeah, I see it would be the same thing. So time time will wash those chemicals out of those brush piles or out of that structure after after X amount of days, months, years, or whatever, probably months or years, I'm guessing. I didn't realize that, but it it makes sense. I mean, we'll use fatwood here to to light campfires and stuff. And that's basically, it's, it's pine tree, right? Where the, where, where the, uh, the sap came down into it. And there's no way I'm going to cook over that stuff ever. Not in your life. I can't imagine wanting to plant some trees or, or that fish would want to live around it either. So that makes well, sense. Yep, exactly. That, that's just it. You know, it, it needs to age. And you need to leach that stuff away from the wood to make it acceptable to everything else in the lake, basically. Mm-hmm. So how, um, now I, I don't mean this in a, a, a bad way whatsoever, but you and I, we have a few years probably over a bunch of these people that are going to be watching us here. <laughs> I I know how I tried to find fish before the days of fish finders and stuff or before I was able to have them. Uh, I was wondering if maybe you could fill us in on how you went about finding structure back in those days. Cause there's a lot of people that watch my show and stuff that don't have the electronics or they're bank fishermen or, or just don't care to use it. So, Right. Um, well, first off, part of the problem with what, not with what you're saying, but the situation you're talking about, uh, is that nowadays everybody kind of forgets that you are the foundation of your fishing success. Do you care if I expound on that just a little bit? Feel free, Ted. Okay. You know, first off, Mark, I'm just going to be honest with you. I have no issue with electronics at all, okay? I, I mean, I like my depth finder and all this and that, but there's a real misconception that we've been, well, brought up to, to believe. And, and I'm just going to say it, you know, a lot of these companies, when they're promoting, this is going to help you find fish, right? How many times have you heard that? All the time. Every ad that's out there for any of those products. Yeah, well, that's not the truth. <laughs> that, and yeah but most people don't you know they they think okay if i buy this depth believe me i like my depth finder okay and i'm not cutting them, but you have to understand what they do all the depth finder does is show you what you found and pointed the transducer at whether the transducer is on the bottom of your motor or a handheld or whatever you know you took the boat there, you drove the boat, you turned on the machine. You're the reason that transducer is looking there. All that transducer does is show you what you found. It finds nothing. I can turn it, I can turn a depth finder on on the dock and say, find me fish. It doesn't move till I hit the throttle. You know? And when it comes to fishing, period. I think that's really been a lost art. The people have to trust themselves. The anglers have to know that they have to understand the fish they're after. They have to have some knowledge of the water they're on. Because you find the fish, you make the cast, you present to that fish, you pick the equipment. 
all the equipment does, the electronics do, all of that, all it just does what you tell it to do. You know? So I don't know. I when I find back I didn't, you say, I didn't hear you say anything controversial or wrong there, but it's absolutely true. Uh in my experience, you know, it's like when I first started using electronics and stuff, I would point I would point the boat where I would think the fish were at and use the electronics to see if I was right or wrong. Exactly. Which is, yeah, like exactly. to this day. Every now and then, if I'm curious about an area I've never been to, I'll go through there and I'm looking for said topic, structure. I don't really fish, you know, being, well, in the areas I fish, you know, fish finders don't, don't, don't work for finding fish. They help me in finding structure, water temperature, things like that, and, and, and surface, or I should say uh, uh, what the bottom looks like, whether it's yeah. soft, whether it's, it's hard and stuff. And yeah, exactly. Put all together, so. and, and for that to work for you, you know, I can, I can tell you a story that'd scare you. Um, Please do. Yeah. Uh, uh, concerns the, uh, the new live scope type technology. Okay. And this happened just last September up in Lake Vermillion up in northern Minnesota, went up there for a week uh, to do a little filming and, and fish muskie. And I'll be honest, I'd never been to that lake before. So for on the second day, I had a guide arranged uh, to take me out and show me some muskie spots. I mean, why not use him? He's there, right? He's the guide. So, you know, I had a week to be there. I wanted to know where to go. And he, he was all excited in introducing me to his boat and all of his electronics and, you know, all the good stuff, right? But here's where, here's where this just becomes very evident. So we went out, we left the resort, we went out. He has, you know, this live scope equipment going. And the first place we stopped, now, I don't know if you're familiar with Lake Vermillion or not, but up I, there, I am not. Up there, there's there's literally like 300 small islands on the lake. Okay, I mean literally 300. <laughs> it's it's scattered. Okay, but anyway, the first place we stopped, we had a real heavy wind coming. We stopped where two islands were kind of facing each other, you know, pretty close together, and the wind was creating a current coming in between those two islands. And we, he put the scope down, and we we spotted a big fish, whether a big northern or big musky, I don't know which, but it was a big fish up on right up off the edge of this of the south island, uh, where the wind was pushing the current around. Okay, right, which made sense. Anyway, so we we proceeded to 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 approach the fish, and we could make some casts, and it was really cool because we could see our lures sinking down behind this fish you know and then we'd like okay real real drop real real drop and we actually saw the fish twice turn and follow the lure that was very cool so but we took that there okay but here's where it gets weird we left that spot and we had well, about five hours left of fishing time we went to weed beds we went to drop-offs we went to points we went to I mean, everything there is on that lake, we never saw another muskie. And I didn't want to ask the guy this, you know, it's his boat, I'm in his boat, but I should have or could have asked, you know, the first place we stopped was a wind-blowing set of islands 
with a created current and we saw a muskie. Why didn't we ever go back to that? Not that necessary island, but there's 300 islands on that lake. Yeah, that would have come up a bunch of times. And he never went back to it, to anything like it. And that's where, like I was saying before, you have to stop being just caught up in one thing. You know, he liked the points. He liked the rock piles. Okay. He liked the weed lines. And at times they're there. But this particular thing had two islands. It had a straight drop. It had a current coming through, which a lake, you don't get currents very often on a lake. That's the first first bell that went off in my head right there. Yeah. You don't get them. But there was enough wind and the way these islands were laying, you had a current coming between them. And that fish was stacked in there. But he never went looking for it again, and I never understood that, you know. Can I take a guess at what was happening right then in that scenario? That was that whole food conveyor belt that I like to think of when I'm looking for fish. That, mm-hmm. that current was actually bringing the bait to the to the, to the muskie, and there's no reason for them to go chase it if it gets Oh, wet. absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So anyway, yeah, so we just proceeded on our own after that, but. You know, he showed me some nice spots. He showed me some areas and where there were some structures and some really nice elements and whatever. But the way that was laid out, he should have, he should have at that point, literally just concentrated on wind-blowing islands. I mean, you know, where the wind's coming around one end and, and creating a current flow. And he, and he never went back to it. But, you know, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm the same. I'm the same way when I'm out in other people's boats. Uh, you know, first rule of boat fishing when it's not your boat, right, is when somebody yeah. asks you, always say yes. That's my first rule. We'll get that one out of the way because they won't ask you again if you say no. Second, well, don't tell them how to fish in their own boat. I never do. Yeah, well, that's just it. It was his boat. I asked him on short notice to take us out and show us some musky water, and he did. Of course, I paid him, but still, you know, he – you know, he didn't have to do it, and he did. And he was real nice. He's a nice guy, you know, and all this and that. I just never understood. As soon as we saw that first fish, it's like, well, here's what we're going to be doing today. <laughs> and, and we just quit, you know. But anyway, kind of like the stock dam thing, too. The day before, we had four fish in a half hour. Why didn't we go back there? Oh, I wasn't in his boat, you know. And he's a friend of mine, and what – I don't argue with people. If they're nice enough to take me out in a boat, it's their boat. That's right. And I'm a guest, and that's it. If they want to ask me what I think, I'll be glad to tell them, but I'm not going to force it on them either. Agreed. I see things the same way. You know that that we keep going back to electronics and stuff, but for a tool, you're absolutely right. But, man, I had a live scope in my boat twice. A buddy of mine has one of those, uh, uh, the ice units, right? That doesn't stop us from throwing it in my boat. He made a, he's a welder. He made a little unit so it hangs off the side of my boat. And, man, in just two times, and literally in like six hours total of fishing because he has, he had prior commitments, but that's another story. Man, how how surprising and, and how how shocked was I at how how different the fish were acting once I saw them than I actually ever thought them to, to act. Yeah. So it was really exciting. I just get excited every time I hear about that. Um, I fished a lake for a long time, a little local, my little local reservoir here. It's tiny. But they say there was walleye in there. I never believed him. We got out on out on there with some live scope. He showed me that there are walleye out there. I went and I fished, you know, the textbook tactics for walleye. You know, they're like, like 
like Luke tells me from their gravel lizards, fish the gravel bottoms, and I was able to get one in the first time I went out looking for them. So sometimes you just got to be proven that something exists in order to execute on it, and that's the kind of guy. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so now the different types of structure. I know uh, I'm big. I like rock piles, being I'm a river fisherman. Mm -hmm. um, our, our, our river is really shallow here, so uh, if there's any big fluctuation or drop, I should say, in water, it empties all the, the log jams out that are laying along the sides of the river. We don't have any through the river just because I live in such a densely populated area. So I tr tend to concentrate on, on rock piles, rocks. There's a couple spots I know where there's some concrete that's been sunk in bridge pilings and stuff like that they seem to work really well for me but without that those electronics like 80 percent of that stuff i would never have known they had exist so oh yeah yeah oh yeah and then that's where like i like my electronics too but i don't bet my whole day on my electronics before i hit them i was fishing you know visible structure uh current seams uh, tur behind turbulent areas hoping that there was that rock down there that they were you know stopping behind stuff like that yeah. Yep. So those all served me well, served me very well in the past. Uh, but again, those are all river scenarios. Lake's a little bit different. So how about structure as far as bottom goes? Let's say uh, someone's a bank fisherman and they download their, their subscription and Navionics and they're, they're looking at their local fishing spot. What, what should they be looking for as far as depth changes and ledges and channels? Okay. Well, that's going to change if you're talking river or lake. A little bit, obviously, in what species, but um, I talk a lot about rivers. Let's give some to the lake people out here. Let's talk about lakes for them. Okay, lakes. If if I'm gonna fish a lake and I'm off the shore, uh, well, I'll be honest. First thing I'm gonna do is call game fishing parks up. <laughs> I'll be honest. I will. If I had, if I don't have any information on the lake, I want some information to start. I'm gonna be calling people and finding out what end of the lake. The fish are on are they on the north end are they on the south end where you know where the krill survey is being taken because right away i eliminate 75 percent of the water you know if i can get two two people to tell me the same thing well they've been catching them over on the west shore well okay now i'm gonna start looking for structure on the west shore you know um now, if, if I've decided what end of the lake I'm going to, Mark, at that point on the lake, I'm going to look, okay, is there any incoming water on that body, on that lake, on that shoreline I want to fish? If there isn't, okay, now are there any points? Are there any sunken road beds? You know, are there any old ditches? Are there any buildings are there in casting distance? Uh, points, you know, what, what do I have? And over the last three days, it's important to understand what direction has the wind been out of. But I I look at wind in three day sections. If it's just blow, if it's blowing from the south to the north today, I don't care. That doesn't make any difference. But what's it been doing for three days? My grandfather always told me fish yesterday's weather and wind. Yeah, you do. So it, 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 it takes seventy two hours for a consistent wind to really move the plankton and the freshwater shrimp. And that's where your bait fish go. One day's wind isn't going to push all the fish to a shore. You know, mm -hmm. it may stir the may stir the shore up a little bit and create some some shallow feeding fish, but you're not going to move the big schools over until you've had a couple of days of weather. And and then you know you go from there. But 
for a lake, that's what I would do. And you know, what shoreline, incoming water, point, what can I reach? Are there bridges, you know, anything that's sunk, weed lines, uh, old tree lines, points going out, uh, and try to concentrate. Same thing, you know. If now if, if I'm picking a roving kind of fish, that makes a difference though. Um, like let's say, okay, if I'm fishing crappie. We'll just say, uh, I'm going to try to look for some wood structure to start with. Is there any place along that shore where there's some submerged trees or where there used to be old shelter belts? You know, because uh, mm-hmm. that's going to hold them. Crappie for the day will usually stay fairly well located. Well, you know, you find them, they're pretty much going to stay on a set of trees if they're there that, you know, at noon, they're going to stay there for a while, you know. But yeah. Filter from the sun and they want safety, so that's what I got. Yeah. But if you're fishing a rover, uh, like like we'll say, well, walleyes, they're going to move in and out on depth according to sunlight. They're very sun sensitive, uh, you know. So you're going to want to go early light, shallow, late light, shallow, high sun, and deep as you can get. Where's the drop off on the point? You know, that's where you got to know your species too, and you have to be able to reach it. So all of that comes into play. My best advice on a lake would be do your research before you go. A lot of people uh, don't really consider that. I mean, other than just a phone call. I look at it as extending my fishing time. Mm-hmm. I, like it. I like to call a couple people, ask some questions. So when I go out there, I know where I'm going and I have an idea what's going to be there. You know, and I also at that point, then if I've made the right calls, I know what's biting. Maybe I want to fish for crappie, but the walleyes are biting. Right. I want to, I want to know it because I'm going to be there anyway. <laughs> you you fish. And you're creating relationships, too, with the with the locals and with the, the powers that be and stuff. And I've never made any that that have hurt my fishing, so to speak. So. That's another reason to do it, if anything. And if they learn that you're, uh, I mean, the DNR, they'll drive right by me. They know me long enough. They'll check my license when the when it's uh, stocker trout season, and then they they know me. I'm pretty hard to forget. We got a few of the agents here, and and you get those relationships where they know I'm not padding my, or I'm not filling my buckets with with more fish than I'm supposed to have. I hardly even have limits but yep. other than that it, it's a good thing to do so get your intel let me ask you this now that we're talking about getting information you being a prior bait shop owner how how trustworthy are bait shop owners in telling you where the fish are well i can't speak for all of them but i honestly think the bait shop owner mm-hmm. i don't know about the hired help but when i own the bait shop I told them exactly what I knew to be the truth because, you know, okay, just like you, you know, if you ask me and I say, well, this is what I know, you know, there's some fish biting on the west side. You're not going to need two scoops of minnows, take one, but you should be able to do a couple. Or they're biting like gangbusters, or it's been pretty slow. You might want to think about going somewhere else. Because then when they go out, now they can make their choice and you know, if they go over here and they don't catch any, well, I told you that was really slow. Mm-hmm. If you go over here, you know, and they catch a few, but I said it was gangbusters. Well, but you did catch a few. Things change a little bit. That's fishing. 
I, I think the owners are going to be as honest as they can be as long as they're told right information. Honestly, yeah, this is true too. You know, you've got you know, you got third or fourth party info floating around, and how far did that two fish catch? You know, get extended into well, I caught twenty five fish. <laughs> you know, I mean that happens, and so the bait shop owners can only be. Well, as honest as the information that they get, you know. But I, I, th I think overall, they're, they'll tell you they don't want to lie to you because you won't come back. If I know somebody's lying to me, I won't. I won't go back to their shop. I'll even go a step further. I got a bait shop owner here that will remain nameless, but he'll—I know he's holding back information. So I know he does that quite a bit. So yeah, we'll I, I won't go there. I mean, I might I, if I have to have something, I might go there if I have to have it, but I'm not gonna suggest people go there or, oh, the, the drama in the big city in urban fishing out here let me tell you it gets to be pretty bad so spots are pretty coveted and people get pretty angry with one another but that's a whole nother story <laughs> uh, definitely so yeah you, you, you have some uh videos that are available on amazon prime i hear yeah uh two uh what one is a multi-species or any species it deals specifically with structure and locating fish. Mm -hmm. Well, some of the stuff that we discussed tonight is in there. And, and it gives you actually uh, uh, what uh, Keith Sutton called a strategy for locating fish, which is understanding the structure, the fish, and your presentation, picking your spot, you know, going with the numbers, trying to present to as many fish as possible. That's the Any Fish, Any Water video. Okay. Uh, also, that... I will say that information has been responsible for a lot of world records. Uh, that information on that video was actually put together over a period of 15 years. And it started out, if you care, don't care if I go into this a little bit. Not at all. It started out quite simply, I was trying to set line class records. And I didn't have a lot of money or a lot of time. I mean, when I went out looking for a fish, I, I couldn't spend two weeks trying to catch the fish, you know? So I had to have a way to locate what I was looking for. And that would be the species and the size of the species and the type of equipment I was using had to match the structure. So I had to find a way to do this in one or two days, you know? So that's how it was developed, but uh, it worked really well. It started out just looking for structure and it grew into a monster with kind of like redefining structure and the whole bit because there were things that were just inaccurate that people hadn't been told. And I didn't understand that. And, and at first it was like, I got to tell people this works. And then it was, well, I don't want to stick my neck out here and say, well, everybody's wrong about this <laughs> without, without knowing it, you know? So we spent a lot of, a number of years, uh, just doing some IGFA and Hall of Fame records with different species, multiple species, um, just to test this out and make sure that what I was saying was accurate. And it is. It, it's not like redeveloping the wheel, but uh, I've had people say, well, it's common sense on steroids. And, and that's pretty much what it is. You know, it's common sense, but it hasn't been put together this way. So that's the first video. And then the second video is actually a channel cat video done on a lake 
where my daughter caught a 27 pound channel while we were doing the video. So that's pretty cool. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, we were using the theory of three, the structure, uh, strategy, and we ended up with, uh, okay. Clear water offshore, uh, 70 degrees, bright sun, and like one o'clock to four o'clock in the afternoon, Yuck. <laughs> which you don't think of for channel and five foot of water. Right. You know, and we caught, I don't know exact number anymore. I really don't, but uh, like a dozen to 15, maybe channels that were all from eight pounds to 27 pounds. That's a great day. You know, and we filmed it that way and how we set up, why we set up there. We were fishing two different element lines that were coming off the shore. <clears throat> and the fish were working both of these lines. So we had one rod positioned off each line of element, you know, with each edge of an element. And the fish just went nuts. It was great. It was it was huge. <laughs> and the filming was good because we could film right into the water. And see know, everything. Crystal clear. So we could see get the fish coming in, you know, online and everything else. It was, it was a lot of fun. It's and my great. Hayden was filming that, so that was especially when you're filming, it's great when the fish cooperate. Isn't that the truth? Yeah, that was a great day. <laughs> everything went really well. The stars align, and you come home a happy man. You know, my wife calls me on my way home from fishing. She's like, "Did you catch anything?" With tr which translates in wife talk to. Are you in a good mood or a bad mood? Yeah. Pretty yeah. much. That's it all the yeah, time. The hidden question. What kind of mood are you in? <laughs> that's it. So. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, you got some scented you worked on, too. I wanted to touch bases on that because I'm, I'm you know, I, I, I always question scent up until, well, I don't know, a couple, three years ago. And now I'm definitely an advocate from it. So tell us a little bit about uh, the scent that you have out and how, how you went about getting it and what kind of results you're getting with it and so on. Sure, sure. Um, it's called Pure Gold Bait Booster. I, I don't market it real heavily. Mm -hmm. Um I've, I've been kind of and the only reason the only reason I bring it up is because I saw it on your Facebook page and it, it piqued yeah. my interest. I yep, did. yep, it's there. Um, you can get it if you contact me. I'll be glad to ship you some. You know, but but what happened with that was, you know, okay. Let me let me tell you right now. There was there was a study done with bass as an example, mm -hmm. and they aren't the most scent sensitive fish, but pretty good. But you could take. Now, now picture this. Take one drop of scent. Now divide that drop, one drop, into 200 pieces. Take one of those 200 pieces and drop it in 100 gallons of water, and that bass will know it's there. Okay. That's crazy. One two hundredth of a drop, okay, which is pretty minuscule. Mm -hmm. now, now, if you translate that to other fish like say catfish, <laughs> you know, whose sense of taste or smell, whichever you want to call it, way greater than that, yeah. It's about ten times that of a bass, you know. So you have you have a lot of power to do with scent, you know. And it, it's not a miracle thing. It's not a magic wand. It's kind of like running a hundred yard dash, Mark. You know, if you run the, the hundred yard dash in ten flat and somebody else runs it in 9.999, they beat you. Mm -hmm. It might be faster than you can even blink, but they beat you. And when I'm out fishing, I like getting the best I can. So I developed this 
originally to, to put on uh, cut bait for channels and on live bait for flatheads. And then I started also using it on uh, like artificial lures for northerns and stuff. And what it, what I believe it does, it, it's not going to attract a lot of fish to you from a long distance away. And that's not what it's made for. But you know how like when you're fishing cats and the cat picks it up and drops it and you don't know why he did. Right. Okay. He just picked it up, dropped it. He didn't come back. Or that northern fowler or the muskie followed your lure to the boat, bumped it with his nose, but he wouldn't hit it. You know? Or watch all your ice hole and that perch comes up and he nudges your, your little minnow head, but he doesn't bite it. Well, what we did is we took uh, an oil and then we took four amino acids that are actually used in commercial fisheries uh, to feed, you know, hatchery fish because it instills a feeding uh, sense. They eat more, they eat more violently, you know, they get aggressive, right? Because of these amino acids. Mm -hmm. so, we, so we added the four amino acids. And what, what this booster does is exactly that. It doesn't replace your bait. I wouldn't tell anybody it ever did. But we've had fish come up behind it, like northerns, and they'll bump the back of the lure with their nose. Follow. And they bump it, and they'll come off about six inches, and then they just slam it. And without it, they bump it and leave. Uh, we've had less cats drop when they pick up. They're, they're hooked deeper. They're taking it in. And what happens is they get a face full of these amino acids when they approach the bait or the lure. And it just, it's kind of like this. In the morning, you get up and you walk across your kitchen. And you're not really hungry. But now you walk across the kitchen and you smell coffee or you smell bacon. Bacon. That sounds pretty good, right? <laughs> I, I could eat some bacon. Well, it's the kind of same thing. Absolutely. It, it just adds that it adds that little bit. And what I tell people, you know, I'm, I'm, it's not going to catch you a hundred fish a day unless you're just that good. But what if it gets you that one or two fish for the day that you would not have got? Now, if you fish tournaments, you know how important that, that is. That is very important. I don't fish tournaments, but I can imagine. Or that one big fish that you or get. The one fish you could call, you know, the well, one fish. I could get rid of that two-pound fish and put a five-pound fish in there. Exactly. You know, it, 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 then it's worth something. You know, so maybe you don't need to use it all the time or whatever. But when I'm on the water, I've already spent my money, you know. I've already you're there. You might as well make the best of it and up your odds as much as possible. Exactly. I want that one tenth of a sentence or that one tenth of a second. You know, I want to win by a hundredth of a second, but I want to win. I want that fish. I'm there, you know, and, and, and I do believe it does that. One example was actually just last year. And now the Northerns were biting anyway. Okay. So, but the situation is kind of unique. We were shore fishing for northerns with my daughters, who, by the way, are really good anglers. But there's my two daughters, myself, and then uh, there were two guys beside us that were literally they're on the same shore, and they were maybe, I don't know, 30 feet away from us. We were all using the same bait. We were using smelt. We are dead sticking on the bottom. We were hitting the smelt with the booster. They obviously didn't have any. Okay, 
In three hours, we had 22, and this number is exact, we had 22 Northerns in three hours. The guys next to us had three. Now, maybe coincidence, I don't know. The only difference I know of is we were 30 feet apart. We were using base boosters. They weren't. We were fishing the same area, basically same bait. And we were doing like five fish to one on them. So, you know. I've never, I've never had a scent. Preve- I feel as though I've never had a scent, scent prevent me from catching fish. Yeah. Oh, it can, yeah. Uh, you know, there used to be a lot of talk about don't get gas on your hands and people have kind of forgot that stuff, but that you, does, that, you can that turn does. the fish away. You can, you can turn them away. You, you can see gas on your hand, you handle your bait. That could be why you're there dropping bait on you too. You know, I have a firm belief that DEET is not good for flathead fishing. I fished with a buddy of mine. I call, I put like three in the boat. He didn't even get a bite. And I was wondering why he didn't get a bite. I even switched sides of the boat with him. Right. Yep. Because we were fishing a choke point. We were fishing late at night. We were getting him on the move, okay, in a busy spot that I know. And then I'm thinking, thinking, thinking. And as I'm thinking, I look over, he spread more mosquito spray all over his hands. Oh, yeah. Like, no, 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 no. So yeah. next time we went out, I made him not wear it. I told him to put darn gloves on. He did because he has these delicate hands. He's a guitar player, by the way. Yeah. Uh, delicate hands. So I uh, put him on his first two flatheads. That was a good night. So that, yeah. that, that was good enough for me to prove my theory correct. So, yep, yeah, exactly. It's just and like you just said. It's just you take every opportunity you can. You know, and some okay. people that's important to them. Some people it isn't. When I'm doing something, I want to do it 100 percent. Try to make it work. Or why do I, Why am I there? You know, that kind of thing. So. Cool. Well, Ted, we've been out here for like an hour and five minutes. I appreciate your time. I want to ask you to come back and do an Ask Me Anything for the people out here. We can do that live on my channel and probably sometime after the tournament if you have time. Would you like to do something like that? Oh, that'd be great. I'd love to. Yeah. Tell, them, cool. to, uh, tell them to bring on the questions. I'll I'll answer the best I can for them for sure. I'm sure they'll have a lot. I appreciate you. And where can people find you online? Online? Uh Facebook, just type in Ted Ellenberger uh, on the internet for, for anything. Just type in my name. I pop up pretty much all over the place. I will put links in the description to your uh, Facebook page so they can contact you through there. Um, I'll try to throw some links to the uh, the Amazon uh, uh, links that you have out there, or I'll put some links to your Amazon uh, pay-per-views and stuff. I, th- I might even be prying. I didn't get a chance to take a look. Okay, can I uh, can I promote a little event coming up? Oh, absolutely! Be my guest. Okay, yeah, I'm just gonna let because uh, I'm doing a seminar March 12th, uh, actually a group event uh, March 12th with South Dakota with South Dakota Game Fishing Parks involved with South Dakota mm-hmm. Game Fishing Parks. I don't want to say I'm actually with them because I don't work for them, but but anyway, uh, and they're gonna actually make this kind of a hybrid event. They're going to make it available on Facebook and make it available on Zoom. Uh, I'll be doing, I'll, yeah, I'll be doing a, uh, uh, to start with, a, a complete structure seminar uh, with PowerPoint, you know. I will also be doing a complete flathead seminar, and I will also be doing a complete channel cat seminar. And these are free to the public, okay? It doesn't cost you anything, but you do have to register and then they will send you Zoom links. And the reason they're doing that is they were getting a lot of requests 
good people that, you know, live in other states. They live 400 miles away. They can't drive over here, you know. So, cool. so anyway, they're going to actually put it on Zoom, the whole thing, start to finish. And no charge. So, you know, if anybody has an interest in that. So check it out. And they can find that info on your Facebook page, I'm imagining, right? Yep, yep, yep. Facebook page, I got some ads up there, too. Or they can go to South Dakota. Uh, game fishing park go to the outdoor campus which is where the live event will be held we have a uh, room for 50 50 live people there you know to come okay. in and sit so i will so get that and i'll post that in the description as well so if you guys want to check out that lot those live zoom seminars with ted uh, i highly recommend it um you guys will enjoy yourself and hey the price is right it's free yep yep it's we're calling it kind of a spring opener South Dakota doesn't have, you know, closed season, so it's not an opener. But ice is coming off pretty quick. People are thinking about fishing, so it's a good time to do it. I cannot wait. All right, well, thank you again, Ted. I appreciate you. And if anybody was wondering, Ted's Ted's dog had some puppies. That's what we were listening to there in the background. Oh, we're, you can hear them, huh? <laughs> we're a dog-friendly channel. It, it does not bother me whatsoever. I get a kick out of it. I want You were on such an informative role. I did want to interrupt you to let people know what it was, but I figure I might as well do so now. So thank you for listening on the podcast, everybody. I want to remind everybody that merch is now available. Contact me if you want a hat. I'm trying to think if I remembered every, anything. Next week, the one versus one starts. You guys know the details. Thank you, everybody, for participating. If you're a participant, your rules got to be into me by Thursday so we can get them in there and I can get all set up. Again, Ted, thank you very much, and I look forward to seeing you very shortly all around the Internet, man. Yep, thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming.